welcome to episode 46 of Roll, Play, Grow, the podcast for tabletop entrepreneurs, creators, and fans. I am Courtney Stover of Lighthearted Adventures, and in this podcast, we talk to the creators behind the brands and the tabletop roleplay gaming space about who they are and how they are turning their passion for gaming into a career. Today, we get the pleasure of hearing from Jay, the owner and designer behind 88 Riddles. You may have seen Jay for his painted dice boxes as part of an add-on to several Kickstarters, or maybe for his t-shirt and hoodie designs. Jay is a super talented artist who has a lot of great wisdom to share on running a plethora of online shops. If this is your first time tuning into Roleplay Grow, hello! This podcast is a part of Lighthearted Adventures, which is a small company I co-founded with my husband. We also do blogs, one-shots, and maps that you'll find over on our website, lightheartadventures.com. Today's affiliate is one for my fellow entrepreneurs out there who may be looking to upgrade your email marketing. Flowdesk lets you make gorgeous emails that are completely automated, and I cannot speak highly enough of them. You can see an example of this by going to our website, lightheartadventures.com. If you have pop-ups enabled, within a few seconds, you'll see a sign-up show up for a free D&D one-shot, or you'll find other ways to get that sign-up throughout the website if you have pop-ups blocked. That sign-up is powered by Flowdesk, and then it emails you a free one-shot and adds you to an automated email workflow that I set up a while back. It's super user-friendly to make new gorgeous emails, and it's really simple to schedule individual emails or create a workflow that messages your contacts week after week. If you use my affiliate link, you'll get 50% off your first year. Go to lightheartadventures.com slash our favorite trinkets to learn more about Flowdesk and all of our other favorite things. That's all for now. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Jay. Today, I am joined by the talented creator and dice goblin behind 88 Riddles, Jay. Hello, Jay. How are you today? I am fantabulous. How are you? I am great. I'm really excited to get to know you and all of the (laughs) stuff behind what you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, to kick things off, can you tell us a bit about who you are and how you got into gaming? Well, I am Jay. Real name is John, but everybody just calls me Jay, and there's a long story behind that. But anyway, uh, (laughs) I got into gaming, let's see, mid-80s, and I was in seventh grade. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it was back in the mid eighties. We were in middle school still. And, uh, one of my buddies came out with the red box and said, Hey, you guys want to play during recess? I'm like, yeah, sure. We'll figure this out. And so like every day at recess and lunch, we would go into the library and just have our little fun and just kind of, uh, avoid the rest of school during those times. <laughs> but it's carried on throughout my life. Uh, I've been an on again, off again, tabletop player. Uh, obviously did video games in between and everything else. So yeah, I'm kind of, kind of versed, you could say. <laughs> what are you playing these days? Oh, geez. Uh, let's see my weekly campaign. We just recently wrapped up a three and a half year campaign. Uh, and we're kind of doing little one shots right now in between as we decide what we're doing for the next campaign. I've also got a random encounters guild that I play alien with, which is Right now, Alien is my number one RPG. I love that system and its mechanics. It's just, it's so elegantly simple and so fun to play. And then I've also got Duke's Minions that I'm with, uh, Patreon group uh, from Norse Foundry. So the people that join the Minions through their Duke's Minions, we get together 
right now it's about once a month and uh, we play whatever kind of is on our, our mind. And right now that's Delta Green. So we have a Delta Green game going with that. And I also have a Shadowrun game, 5e Shadowrun that I play in. So I'm kind of a little bit all over the place. Honestly, I love it when you get to have a variety where it's not just D&D. It's like you get to play and experiment. Ironically, the last last two weeks were the first time I've played 5e in, I'd say, three years, maybe four years, because almost everything else I play is like, you know, Pathfinder or, you know, you know, the new alien game, Delta Green, all these other stuff that we, we come along, Cyberpunk. So, yeah, we, we just recently started playing 5e again. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you this? I know this, this might be a contentious topic, but do you have a preference? Between all games or just like uh, 5e versus Pathfinder? Uh, I guess just the ones that you're playing. So Pathfinder, Alien. Right now, like I said, definitely digging Alien. Alien is, I've kind of gone all in on that. I like the complexity of Pathfinder 1e more so than 2e. 2e is not as complicated. But I, I think it's because of having experienced, you know, the AD&D come into life and then, you know, going into second edition and how those rules were a little more crunchy. So I, that's what I started with. And it, it just, I kind of gravitate towards crunchier things until I ran, a, you know, this, this alien game is amazing. And back in the day, I still have a very fond appreciation for the face rip system that um, TSR used for their Marvel game back in the 80s. That system was just so simple, so fun, and it allowed you to do insane superhero things. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to dive into all of the things that you do. So I know you've got a lot of design, a lot of merch and painting, the dice boxes. And so just how would you describe what it is that you do? <laughs> I boil it down to its simplicity of that I'm a designer and a painter that you know kind of focuses in the TTRPG realm. But it gets there's too many little nooks and crannies. So I, I yeah, let's just keep it simple and we'll just say that. <laughs> I, I do I do design work. Like this morning I was working on a, a commission t shirt design for uh one of the companies that I work with regularly. Well how did you get into this? Oh I I've always had a, a thing for art. I think my first art class if I remember correctly was like I was seven years old. Uh it was something my mom sent me to during the summer just to kind of help me flex those muscles a little bit. I don't know. I, I've dabbled in so many different art forms. The one I was most resistant to was photography because both my moms were into photography. So it was kind of like, you know, no, no, I'm going to make my own way. I don't need to follow your footsteps. <laughs> yeah. So it got serious for me. Uh, it was like around 2006, if I want to say right. I had worked for a small company, small at that time. They've actually gotten much bigger out of Delaware called uh, Decal Girl. And I just kind of enjoyed their stuff. They were making, this was back in the, the days of the PS2, and they were making skins that go on, you know, the, the controllers and all that fun stuff. And I thought it was just a great thing to design for. So I started doing design work for them, and then they brought me on for a short time. So that was when things really kind of got serious for me as far as that goes. And then when I left, I started my first Zazzle store. And Zazzle was really the only thing around at the time. So it was kind of like, you know, deal with it. So that was a my start there, I guess. And it's just kind of continued. So, I mean, now I've got, I, I barely pay attention to the Zazzle store, but I have Redbubble, Society6, uh, T Public, Displate. So 
that's where a lot of my my artwork ended up. And then I was working for a company where I, I ran the art department and the production department for a while, and that was okay. That was fun. Uh, it was interesting. I learned a lot of things in that industry, and that I could kind of carry over to what I'm doing now. And yeah, I just I find myself a solid production partner to help me with my Etsy shop and. So they take care of like actually producing the the shirts and the mugs and all that stuff. And I take care of like, you know, painting boxes. Okay. You started with Zazzle and then you branched out eventually into these other sites. Yep. Talk me through the beginning stages. Like what was it that inspired you to upload your designs on them? You've got so many designs out there now. So how long has it taken you to build up this kind of library? The main heart of my current library that I have, and I my library is much more than just TTRPG. In fact, my best-selling design that I currently have it, uh, out there is my fast-pitch softball design. <laughs> and that design actually goes all the way back to 2006. But there's so few good softball designs out there that, you know, when you go on one of these sites and you're looking for softball and this thing just pops up and it's like, oh, yeah, that's what I was looking for, you know, and... It's a crazy thing that something so simple becomes your best seller. I think for me, what really sparked me or, or encouraged me to continue dabbling in this until I decided to kind of go full bore like I am now was the little successes. There was, and my biggest successes at that time were seeing St. Patrick's Day uh, mostly. And that was back to like 2007, 2008. My St. Patrick's stuff kind of took off and it was doing its own little thing on Zazzle. Between that and my experiences at uh, later in life or more recently in life, my experiences at the company where I was you know, working with the art group and everything, there's something cool about doing a design and say it's something very direct, like a good Norse design, right? Um, and having that go, you know, somebody in Norway ordering that design, it's kind of a cool thing <laughs> that you kind of hit that little level of uh, appreciation for some from somebody who is actually there like my irish celtic design that i i have is quite popular actually in ireland of but like they should be surrounded by this kind of stuff how is my little design so cool that but anyway those little sparks of seeing your stuff like going out in different directions and you know places you would you've never even visited and just knowing that your part of you is there it, it's encouraging to be able to like, you know, say that and then go like, all right, well, if I can do that, what else can I do? You know? So you kind of start stretching your wings and trying different things. Yeah. That has to be like really special to see how far all of your creations are traveling. Yeah. It is, it is kind of cool. <laughs> <laughs> so we've got all of these different designs that are essentially printed on different materials uh, that, People can buy through all of the different sites, but you've also got your dice boxes. So at what point did you add that to the mix? So that's a more recent addition out of everything that I have on there. And it is, it started at a gaming table when I had my, my new, I just got my first set of really cool dice for the, the modern era where I ordered a nice little hex shaped box for them to go in. And I look over at my DM and he has the same damn box. Son of a. So it's like, all right, all right. I need to be an individual here. I'm that kind of guy. I'm a pain in the ass about it. So 
what can I do to make mine different without having to buy a new one? Well, hell, I've been painting miniatures since the 90s, so why don't we try painting it? And I did. And I really liked how it came out. I enjoyed it. And, you know, so I showed it off. And I happened to be part of the Norse Foundry Discord at the time. Uh, I, I still am. I don't know why I said at the time, but I still am. And I showed it off in there. And then, I, you know, some other people asked for, you know, can you paint mine? And I, so I started doing, you know, just little paint jobs. And I'd take photos and set them up and, you know, just kind of show them out there. And people were really enjoying what I was doing with it. So the guys at Norse Foundry, you know, can you paint a couple for us? So I paint a few for them and I send, you know, send them over just so they can have them in the warehouse. It's like cool little things that, you know, were one of a kinds that nobody else really had. And Drew, the owner of Norse, turns, or one of the owners of Norse, turned and he's like, you know, I know the guy who runs Elderwood. <laughs> I think I can hook you up. So, yeah, things just kind of started. So it's been about two years ago. So this is still kind of a fresh thing that I'm kind of playing around with and experimenting, but I definitely think I found a little bit of my footing in doing these. And luckily I've got a, I've got a pretty solid background to rely on, on helping me like navigate how best to do this, I guess. That's really cool that it was just from sharing photos in a discord and that it's <laughs> grown into this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's kind of cool. <laughs> I mean, now part of Kickstarters, like the the new Talent and Claw Kickstarter. This is my second one with them. I did a Kickstarter with Tabletop Makers where I was just, you know, on all these, I'm basically just the, the art, one of the artists. Um, I've got another one coming up with uh, Cryptic Creative is going to have my artwork in their next uh, set of dice boxes. So it's it's kind of really evolved just from painting my own one box. And now, you know, I'm doing artwork for other people. and design work and you know can you like i just did the the blades in the dark game my producer on my stream eric frankhouse he had connections to these guys uh, to john because he's running a game of dark that john enjoys on the norse foundry channel so uh we got the okay from john for me to do a few boxes using their logo and i came up with the paint scheme and yeah i've already given the first one to john because he just loved it so much so yeah, it's it it's grown fast in really weird ways. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So talk to me about these Kickstarter partnerships. Yeah. I guess like how they've come around, but then how do you help out with the fulfillment? Uh, fulfillment? I don't help out with. Uh, there was one, one I did with Tabletop Makers included a bump in their, uh, their thing where you could actually prepay for a custom paint job. So that's the only part where I come into the fulfillment. So I, you know, I, I did those, but I also, the, for the main part of the, the Kickstarters, I provide artwork. So they pull me in fairly early or early on. The Talent and Claw one, there's three of us, me, Kate Greer, and Zero Jester. So the the three of us were doing our own artwork on the, on the fly there for putting out with their Kickstarter. And then, you know, we just provide them with the artwork and then after that, the fulfillment, the lasering, the engraving, all that stuff is kind of up to them. So, I mean, after that point, I really don't have a lot of control, any way to really help out. Unless I fly out there and, you know, actually jump in. <laughs> okay. So they're engraving your designs. You're not painting them. On the Kickstarter, the current Kickstarters, no. Okay. I haven't talked, David and I are, might still be kicking around the idea of doing some paints because he's got, David's the owner of, of Cryptic Creative. He's got a uh, 10 cases of, that I painted for him just like a uh, month and a half ago. 
that he's bringing to Gary Con with him. So he'll have those at the booth. So he kind of he, he really enjoyed seeing those live in a booth. Thought that it was a really great way to not only expand my brand, but his brand at the same time. So that's cool. And that also makes a lot more sense because I was just sitting here thinking like, if you had to paint all of those boxes on your own. Oh, no, no. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd love it if, I mean, Talon and Claw has started putting some of my designs on their regular offerings on their Etsy page. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing I'd just, I would, if I could work it out somehow, some way, that's another thing I would just love to be able to do is like some of the manufacturers out there, if, if I could like get my artwork into their arsenal and actually had like, you know, my artwork on their pages, that would be, that'd be a pretty awesome next step, I think. So yeah, yeah, definitely getting into, if I could find my way onto, into the catalog of art provided uh, with other vendors, that'd be, that'd be pretty awesome. But it gets complicated because once you start talking about, you know, licensing and so on and so forth, it's like who has rights? You know, how do we want to make this payout? Do we want to do a full, you know, just buy the design outright? And if they do that, then I can't use it on my stuff. So it's it just gets there's there are some things that have to be hammered out. Like anytime you enter into a uh, partnership like that, on you know, like usage rights and so on and so forth, and how much each person gets paid. So. It, it's it's complicated and it does muddle things up a little bit. So it just depends on what you're trying to accomplish or I guess. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Do you have any partnerships lined up? Like, I mean, I know that you're working kind of a lot with Talon and Claw. I think you mentioned that they have some of your designs on their site already. Yep, they have some on their site. And then they've got a, I think they chose 10 different designs for their Kickstarter. So there's, there's that on there as well. And yeah. So how did you navigate the licensing questions? I like to handle licensing as a, a one-off kind of thing, not necessarily doing a blanket for everybody because everybody that I work with, especially when you get into something where it's an item like this, where there's, there's a lot of dynamic things that can happen very quickly when they do expansions on their end. So I like to handle each company that I, I work with as a one-on-one, ba- uh, you know, a one, one-time basis thing. So my deal with Talent & Call is going to be different than what I do with Elderwood. And that's going to be different than what I do with Cryptic Creative. They're, they're all going to have their own set, depending on what their needs are and what the evolution of their line is going to be. And then, you know, keeping in mind what on my side, what, what I'm hoping my evolution will be. It's not anything that you can just do like a, a straight cut and dry form, you really do want to approach each one as its own individual thing and, and treat it that way. Just communication is going to, is a huge thing in that process. So just talk it out with whoever you're, you're dealing with and get to a point where both of you guys are satisfied. I think that's great advice. So yeah, I'm curious about, yeah, I guess how you're getting your inventory for your own Etsy store. Like, do you have a partnership set up where you're able to get some of these dice boxes wholesale or are you just paying like normal price and then painting them? For Elderwood and Town and Claw, I have worked out uh, deals on on my end. Obviously, there's a lot of things in that that I can't talk about because. Sure. It's, but no, I have worked out deals with both of them so that I can get things that when I can get a box at a wholesale rate or even like a, a discounted rate or an artist rate. Like even I mean Jess at Works of Whimsy, she has. She's in the same position I am when it comes to the like the margins that we put into our product because we don't want to put too high of a margin into our product. And if so, when we do, 
if you put too high of that margin in there, it makes it harder for people to afford it. So, but even with Jess, I mean, she at least gives me a small discount, even though it's harder for her to afford because she's not a big company. When I buy her uh, the big dice, the big D20s that she has that I paint for people. So yeah, I try to, as best as I can, at least work out even the smallest discount so that I can keep my prices manageable for other, you know, for people to be able to enjoy my product. Otherwise, you know, I'm just, I'm pumping out big numbers, but nobody's able to afford them, you know? So there's other companies that I've tried to make connections with who were dead flat that they just could not offer me any kind of discount. And I tried painting some of their stuff and putting it out there where I still had a markup in it that adequately paid me back for my investment of the box and the time and everything. And it was just like the, the price difference was a little harsh, I think, for a lot of people to, to grasp onto. So I never went back to those, you know, those companies have just not been a regular part of my offerings because I, I can't justify cutting my self-value, I guess is a good way to put it. When you're doing this kind of stuff, self-value is something that you have to learn. Well, I think most of us have to learn because we're, we're taught not to value ourselves. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, if I can't get a discount, it doesn't make sense for me to continue to run with it. So that's why you may, you may have a favorite company that I don't paint for. And the reason that most of that is, or the reason I don't paint them is because I can't get them at an affordable rate to where my painting on top of it doesn't blow your bank budget. Yeah. That's always a tricky thing to balance making sure that you are getting paid your worth while also getting prices that people would are able to, and I guess willing to yeah. pay. It's kind of a double-edged blade because the fact that if you don't truly put your correct value to what you do into your pricing, it, it kind of, it works against you because first of all, you're, you're going to get, it's great that you're going to get a lot of orders and that you may get more orders because you have this lower price point. But having that lower price point means that when your orders get out of control and you need help, you can't really justify hiring someone to help you unless you're going to pay them a low wage as well. Because that margin is your wage and it covers everything, not only for like the painting that I do, but it has to cover things like the boxes, the tape, any other packaging that I have to use, like bubble wraps, things like that. Uh, it has to cover shipping costs. It has to cover the fact that I need to stop what I'm doing to run to the store to buy supplies, or I need to stop what I'm doing once a day and go to the post office to drop off orders. So like, even if I wanted to pay someone to do shipping for me, if I haven't added that value into my margins, then I can't afford to pay that person, <laughs> you know? So if you're not thinking about these things, and that's, you know, that's not including things like all your Etsy fees and everything else. So it's or marketing fees. So yeah, there's there's more to figuring out your margin and asking for an, a, a right price than just the amount of time or the amount of materials it takes you to make the product. Have you I don't know, figured out a way or do you have any tips on like what works for you to make sure that you are walking that line? Well, I do have trackers that I use. Uh, that give me an idea using uh, your bank statements or your receipts, things like that, to find out how often are you buying the supply and making, you know, kind of a, you don't, there's no way you can really get down to like, I'm spending this much on the penny for every box that I put together. There's just no way. It's going to vary too much. You want just a good idea and use your receipts to see how often you're buying this, this item 
you know, and then break that up amongst the number of orders that you had during that time. And that's one one little solution to at least get a quick, easy breakdown of that. And you just have to track your time because time is the, the, the one thing you can't really get back or, or buy from anywhere else. You only have like what's in front of you. So tracking the amount of time it takes you to do things like shipping, tracking the amount of times it takes you to, to make your runs to the post office and you know all these other things. Because if you do need to hire somebody else, it's going to be based on time. So you, you need to have an idea of how much you would need to have cushion in there to be able to afford to have help when you need it. You mentioned that you have a production partner helping with some of the t-shirts and things. How did you go about finding that help? Well, I spent five years in the industry doing the the production side and, and the art side. So, And I've done everything from DTG to laser to screen print to uh, sublimation, uh, large format printing, decals, all kinds. You know, so I've done all this stuff. So I understood what the quality control needs to be. I understood what you know, what kind of equipment I was looking for a production partner to have access to so that I knew I was getting good quality. So I was looking for somebody that had that kind of flexibility. Turns out that the company I found is a partner with Etsy. The company's name is Printful. And they are a network of shops like what I worked at. So the shop I worked at could have easily fit into this network of shops that they have where they, you know, they actually have shops, uh, production company uh, shops in Canada, the UK. I think they just got their first one in Australia online. So having a global reach as well as, you know, just the, the ability to do so many things was what I was looking for. And it was just having the background in the industry made it easier for me to pinpoint who I would want to work with based on what their tech was. And, you know, there was emails that I sent and, you know, questions that I did and waited for their feedback before I said, yeah, okay, I'm going to jump in and use you guys as my partner. Cool. Yeah. I've heard of Printful and use them on more of like a personal level. Uh, just like, oh, I need 20 t-shirts for this one thing. They do stuff like that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool though, that they've got that integration with Etsy. Printful has an uh, API for a lot of different companies like, you know, Shopify, Magento, if you're doing your own web-based stuff, they have direct APIs for eBay and Amazon and Etsy. So anywhere you wanted to try to get your stuff up, you could use Printful to do that. Hey, entrepreneurs. I love introducing you to new creators every episode, but I could really use your support. I would love to invite you to join our Patreon page where you'll gain access to behind the scenes content, add your questions to upcoming interviews, and you could even receive a shout out on our site in an upcoming episode. To learn more, go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. And now back to the show. So you mentioned Etsy's fees earlier, and I know that those fees just went up. Uh, 1.5%. There's, there's a lot of back and forth I can understand on Etsy. Etsy works for what Etsy is designed to work for. And you have to understand that. There's nothing neither good nor bad about what they're doing. They're just doing business. So, I mean, it is destructive to s- some degree in the, the market they started from, but they are evolving into something different. They're really expanding past. And the great thing about the fact that the, you know, with them expanding past what they've done is they've brought in a bigger customer base than what they started with. So it's there's a back and forth on that. If you stopped paying all that and you did your own Shopify or did your own Magento, like some of the things that are not clicked in there is like 
you still pay a percentage to whoever's processing your your cards. You, there, there's no no real way around that that I've seen at this point. There, if anybody knows anything out there, please let me know because I'm interested in opening another Shopify at store. So, but yeah, there's there's no real easy way around processing fees. There's no real easy way again. You know, you you have to buy an Earl, pay for that on its regular basis. Your cost of trying to get your stuff at a level of look on like Google, using Google ads and things like that, your marketing is going to really kind of kind of get you where you probably don't realize uh, as far as cost-wise goes. I mean, even Twitter. Twitter is, a, what, $50 for an ad campaign? So, and that's just one ad campaign, you know, and it, it's got a, a limited number of reaches that it can hit. So it's like, you're paying for advertising or you're using Etsy that already has a built-in clientele. But like, if you're somebody like Tim at Staffing Branch, he sells out constantly. He rarely has any stock or inventory. And if you're th- you're running a store like that, and he he definitely found this to be true, is that running a store like that where you're not holding stock and inventory that people can just constantly buy, that's where Etsy fails you. That's where Etsy is no longer going to work for you cost effectively. And we're going to something like a Shopify or Magento is going to allow you to really have more of your percentage back to you. That's a really interesting point. I know that there's always that balance too of are you able to bring in your own customers on your own or do you need that access to the larger market that something like Etsy can offer? Yeah. And it's real easy to look up. I mean, they well, it's easy-ish to look up in in your your seller's controls because it'll let you know where your traffic is coming from. The thing it won't let you know, and this is part of the information they do hold from you intentionally, you don't know where the orders come from per se. So like I know where all my traffic is coming from and who's providing that traffic. And yes, the vast majority of that traffic comes from my own social media and my direct links. But I do get a percentage, a decent percentage that are just coming in finding me through Etsy. I lose that if I leave Etsy. Mm-hmm. So I have to I have to assume loosely assume and it's still just an assumption you can it, the numbers can be way wrong. But if I leave Etsy and open a Shopify I'm losing that percentage. That percentage of, is going to drop off my sales. So if it's 23%, then I need to assume that I'm going to lose 23% of my income because people are, are a lot of people find a platform they like and they stick to it. That's why some people are loyalists to Amazon. Some people are loyalists to Etsy. Some people are loyalists to eBay. So if you're not on those platforms, they're most likely not going to find you or buy from you. So it's, it's, it goes both ways. You have to look at the whole thing and make a full judgment and not just look at how it directly impacts what you're doing. And if these, really these, these little bumps that they're doing have been minor, but it had, yeah, I see where it has been growing over the past three years. Those, these fees have increased and I would be lying if I said COVID didn't have an impact on that. You know, there's, there's definitely impacts on every business out there from COVID everybody's raising some level of prices. So, I mean, there's not much we can do about it. Yeah, it was interesting. I was getting, I think, a Starbucks coffee for the first time in like six months yesterday. And it was a lot more than I remember ever paying. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah. And it, it's just all the stuff. I mean, there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff that you uh, a company goes through that we may not be privy to, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, I will say the one thing that gets, uh, I do have a complaint as far as Etsy goes is at my level is that you can't opt out of the the marketing that they do. Mm. And I've been really lucky. Well, you can call it lucky or unlucky. I've, I've had very, very, very few 
orders come through on their marketing where I get hit with, you know, that, that larger percentage that they want for, you know, putting you on Google. I think I've had maybe three of those. That's it. Three. So yeah, it's a, it's a big impact in on the, your bottom line, but I'm getting very few coming through. My problem with it is, is that this big margin or this big cut that they want to take out of that, not all of my products have that big of a cut. <laughs> so I end up taking a negative hit on some of my products if it sells through this marketing. So I'm stuck with two options. I'm stuck with the option of either do I take the hit on these very rare and random ones, just like every once in a while I get hit with one from Australia where I don't, I, I either break even or I lose a couple of dollars because shipping. But if we could have a way for us to opt out of low margin, you know, like if I had a way to mark an item as a low margin item and they would not put that out there for their, their big stuff and just focused on my stuff that has margins that can accommodate it, that'd be great. Because my only other option is raise prices to accommodate for those. And I really don't want to, because like I, the shirt, like the shirts that I, I have on my site, don't get me wrong. They, the companies use an avalanche 1000 or higher, uh, an AVK, or, you know, they're using the storm twos, whatever, but they're all core needs for the most part. And these core needs do an amazing, amazing print job. Uh, I've worked with them personally. They can be a little temperamental, but they're awesome machines, but as awesome as they are, and the fact that they they create such a lightweight print is a beautiful thing, but it's not screen. Screen is still a different beast. And I work with, like I just started talking to Ink Print Inkling again about doing another shirt. So we've already got the design nailed down and we're working out these other things. But I want to be able to sell that shirt for a better price or a higher price because of the fact that it is a better quality. And it's coming from a handmade group. And so I, I don't want my regular shirts that are print on demand to seem on par with a screen print job. Cause they're really not, they are completely different things. And when you get a screen print piece, it, I, I enjoy those so much where I've got, I have what, six or seven print inkling shirts already. And I, there's more that I really want to get from them. But anyway, so yeah, I, I digress a little bit. So yeah. So I want my collaborations with print inkling and other screen printers to be able to be that, that premium piece without having to be even more expensive because I don't want it to be as, you know, the same cost as my print on demand shirts. I think that is completely logical. Like that, <laughs> like, like their quality is so good. Yeah. They, they definitely know what they're doing. I've talked with them. I, I talk with them on a very regular basis because I just love their stuff. And I, I want to do more work with them. It's just a matter of being able to find the time and also being able to afford it. Cause unlike print on demand, print on demand, you, you pay for it as it's made. With something like a screen print, you're going to pay all that up front. So be, being able to afford it is not always <laughs> the thing. So we that's why the doing the pre-orders like we did with the Goblin Shiny Math Rocks. Nice Goblins Shiny Math Rock shirts that we did last year. And do it as a pre-order. Give everybody a chance to kind of, you know, get their shirt ready and stuff. And that was great. That was, that was one of the more fun collaborations I've done, I think, out of everything. And I... I Print Inkling is one of those companies I would, I would in a heartbeat, have no problem giving them like, look, here's my library. Have fun. <laughs> you know, because I know they're going to, just like Talon and Claw does, just like Elder, they re- they're going to respect my artwork and they're going to, they're going to, you know, be honest with me. I trust the company. I trust the people that are there for, and I know that they're going to give a great quality product that I'm not going to always have access to. So, yeah. 
Oh my gosh. I'm just imagining now like all of your designs, on, <laughs> like with their quality, that'd be amazing. I I have over a thousand designs. So, you know, just uh, <laughs> let me know when you're ready. <laughs> and they're not all D&D related. You hear it, Rassi? Have fun. <laughs> So that actually, you you mentioned something that I find to be, I don't know, an interesting question too, and is the balance of, uh, I guess, the pre-order of yourself. So, you know, whether that's t-shirts or how many boxes that you're going to order, like how do you decide how much stock you're going to, or how much inventory you're going to stock up on before it actually sells so that you're able to like balance your finances to where like, you know, it's a good investment um, and you're but it's there's still like that element of risk that's going on. Uh, with my boxes, it's pretty easy. Anything that I'm hand painting, when I paint it, I'm going to, during that process, I'm going to make that judgment call in my head. And it doesn't matter if it's one of my designs or one of the stock designs, because I've painted a lot of stock designs from uh, Elderwood. I've painted a lot of Kate Greer, who works with Talon and Claw as well. There's a few of her designs that she does for them that I've bought and painted. Uh, so it kind of, all three of us kind of get our, our good share out of that. And that's one thing I will note is that whenever I do buy something that has somebody else's, I make sure that there's a communication between all three of us that the artist is still getting their cut, even though I'm getting a discount. So I try to make sure that that stays in there. So, but whatever I'm painting during the process, I, I write my, I, I create what's called a recipe. So I have these little index cards where I write down my process. So like, what inks I'm using, what paints I'm using. Is it a dry brush, a heavy dry brush, a wet brush? You know, like what kind of, how did I, how did I do the application? Was it sponge application? So on and so forth. And I, so I just keep track of that. And it's, that's my recipe for repeating what I'm doing so that I have the ability to repeat it. If I feel like that recipe is a little too complex, or maybe I've, I've gotten a little too artistic with it, where it's, it's a flow and not a process. Those are going to become my one of a kinds and you'll see them in my one of a kind section where I'm not going to attempt to replicate what I just did because I don't think I can. And then I have my other ones where the recipe is straightforward. It's simple. It gives me the ability to replicate it as best I can. And none of my replications are exact duplicates. So, I mean, that's just the nature of art and wood. But at that point I decide, okay, so let's see how fast the, the template sells. So, I'll always put up the one I actually painted. That's the one I do the photos of and I put it up there. And depending on the reaction I get on Twitter or Instagram or the Discord servers that I'm on, that weighs in on whether or not, okay, am I going to make this a regular offering or is this just going to end up being a one of a kind? And between that and how fast the first one sells kind of helps me make that judgment. After that, that's where it goes into a pre-order process. Which is why a lot of my stuff in, in the regular dice box section says that it takes three to four weeks. And the reason is, is because I don't actually have the boxes in stock. I haven't painted them in advance. So, I mean, you really have the option of like, if you wanted a different wood, talk to me. If you want a different, you know, like one color to change, just send me a message. Talk to me. We can customize as we go along. And I usually don't, if it's like a color change, I'm not going to charge you extra for that. That's just crazy because it's going to be the same amount of time it would take me to do the original color. Big deal. Same thing with the woods. As long as the woods aren't more expensive and it's not costing me more on, on to get that, you know, let's switch out woods. Let's do a different wood. But that gives me that gives me that ability to do that because I haven't made it ahead of time. But you do have that three to four week 
period that, you know, I have to place my order with the company that I'm getting them from. They have to be able to have time to produce them, ship them to me, give me time to paint them, cure them, seal them, and then ship them out. So that's why there's that three to four week on the regular ones where I don't have in stock available. Almost all the time though, like when I do order stuff, say I get an order for, you know, two orders for the the blades in the dark. I'll order a third one because I need to have that extra coverage just in case something happens to one of the two that I'm painting during the process. But it also gives me, you know, that ability to like, when I, I've got the orders filled, now I have this third one that nobody's claimed yet that I can either do a new style to and test that out, or I can go ahead and paint it the regular way and have it out there as available as an instant offering. Because some people do want that quick turnaround offering. So you'll you'll see listings bounce back and forth in my thing between being a, a pre-order offering and an in-stock offering just based on whether or not I've painted a new one recently. That is such a cool way to do it. And I don't do you ever feel like the three to four weeks isn't enough lead time or has it been like a good balance that you're not feeling stressed about getting it done on time? I'm not stressed and it's typically not a stressor on my my partners. So like Town and Claw and Elderwood, I don't typically have to like, you know, it gives them plenty of time for their what their turnaround time is. So I'm not stressing myself and I'm doing my best not to stress the vendors that I buy from. Every once in a while, we'll run into an issue where a particular wood may be low in stock. Like I just, I I had that issue, not an issue, but I just had that conversation with uh, Greg over at Elderwood because they're low on one particular wood for regular, but they have that wood in the remastered. So I was covered because I wanted it remastered, but if I wanted it in the regular, I would have to wait a little extra time. And that's where, you know, things can be a little hairy (laughs) and get down to the wire. But I mean, Etsy's got this whole thing where they're tracking your your late shipments now with the whole uh, star seller program. And I haven't missed my my mark on that. I'm o- I'm over ninety five percent all the time on on time delivery. So, and that's including all the stuff from my production partner. So I think I'm doing okay. <laughs> no, I was wondering about if Etsy has the ability to have it indicated as a pre order because I know I've heard a lot about the the star seller thing wants you to be very fast on getting it out. Well, they wanted you to be on time. It's not fast; mm-hmm. it's just on okay. time. So it's based on how much time you give yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's really, they, they have no, the, with the star seller program, I'll tell you my biggest pet peeve with that right now, Etsy is not communicating within its own company on the star seller program. And it becomes apparent because part of their criteria is the, the and this is where speed comes in, is the speed of reply that you give to any incoming messages. So I got dinged once and it won't happen again, but I had a long argument with Etsy over it. It, you have 24 hours. You have a whole 24 hours to respond to messages you get through Etsy. And if you're not checking, if you have an Etsy account and you have an Etsy store and this is something you really want to do and you're not checking your Etsy messages multiple times a day, it's not on Etsy. It's really not. It's that That's on the creator, the, the shop owner to manage that. And yeah, it sucks that they've put that in there, but I also understand it. But I don't understand. Uh, what I don't understand is that like I said, they're not communicated throughout the com- company. So other departments are sending me messages through the Etsy portal that tell me don't respond to this message. But if I don't respond to this message, I'll get dinged on my star seller program. <laughs> 
And and I said I've replied multiple times to the, these other departments going like you do realize that telling me not to respond is going to impact my star seller. So I have to respond. You can't put this in your message and hope that people understand that they don't have to respond because they have to respond because if they don't, they get dinged. This is your own company. You should know what you're, what's going on within your company and how you're impacting <laughs> your sellers before you, you know, so it's like, yeah, that's, that's one of the things that I, my biggest beef and it's, it's just a, it's such a small thing, but it's still freaking annoying as hell to know that they are not, they don't have their, that together. Like there, there's no internal communication going on. That does sound super frustrating. <laughs> I do want to switch gears a little bit because Go I realized that we haven't talked yet about watching paint dry. Dun, so, dun, dun. <laughs> for our listeners that have no idea what the words I just said mean, can you please tell me about what this stream is and how it came to be? It's something that's been in conversation for probably close to about like an eight month period, I'd say. And it was a matter of just finding the right time to slip it in because this is the watching paint dry is a stream that I do every Thursday, noon central on the Norse Foundry Twitch channel. Uh, So Norse Foundry has sponsored me doing this, this stream of my painting process and so and so forth. It's like I said, it's been in conversation for a while and it was just a matter of finding the right time to insert it into their schedule because they do have multiple games that they run on there and stuff. So, but this would be something new to help them expand their, their customer base, hopefully, and give back a little something different that isn't really, wasn't really out there, but it, it's a two hours, uh, two hour stream where I paint and I chat. It's really what it is. And, and Eric is with me, Eric Frankhouse. Uh, he's the producer. He's there in the, in the stream with me. And he and I interact with each other. And you know, we use a app for Twitch called Streamloots, which allows us to create cards that pay, people can buy. They buy a pack and a pack is, is usually three or two cards and they can buy the pack and they can play those cards. And when they play those cards, that's that's the audience's way of interacting with the show. So right now, my biggest thing is that at least once a month, we do a, an auction and we also do a giveaway. The giveaway is based on how many times you get the golden ticket, which is in the cards. Or if you get the, the card that allows you to roll the D20 for an entry, uh, which you have to roll an eight because eights are cool. And then the other one is how many times you make me laugh. A lot of these cards are designed, they're kind of in that vein of Cards Against Humanity where you get to kind of put in your own answers. So we give you, we give you the black cards and you've got to you know create your own inserts. So it's a little bit of a mix of Cards Against Humanity and Mad Libs. So using those cards to make me laugh or to get Eric to make me laugh or you know to make me laugh on my own through my own response gets you an entry to win one of the chests that I paint that month. And I, I, I the reason why I, I guess to explain the, the behind the thought process, uh, watching paint dry, I we I wanted that name because it's first of all it's just a fun name. It's kind of like one of those things that's like, why the hell would you name your thing that way? You know, nobody wants to watch paint dry. But when it comes to like processes like this, for me, it's the interaction in between the painting. It's those moments bet- that that bet- watching the you know when the paint is drying and you can't do anything, where you can actually have a little more interaction. And, and because you're in this mental process, it's a little more creative, a little more free flowing, a little more fun. So I, I wanted that to be the focus, not the actual painting, 
but the interaction in between, you know, the, the community, I guess. And the laughing part, I mean, we all know, or we all hopefully, we all understand that laughter is a beautiful thing in our lives. And it, it can be so helpful for our mental health to laugh, but not only to laugh, when you get into the mindset of trying to make someone else laugh, that also gives you the same release of endorphins that laughter itself does because it puts you in that mindset and you start thinking funny things and you start trying to come up with craziness and it, it just frees up your mind. So I like that your way of entering the giveaway is also helpful for your own mental health, you know? And, I, and so I like being able to put that little bright spot in someone's day, I guess, uh, a little differently than most people would have access to. And even just listening, you're going to, you're going to run into some stuff that's like, oh, geez, it, it's definitely adult rated. <laughs> it's not a, it's, there's some, it gets a little, you know, a little risque in there at moments, but, <laughs> but yeah, no, it's a, uh, I, I like the show. It's really fun. Uh, it's another way for me to support what I do and also support Norse Foundry for everything they've done for me. Yeah, it's really cool. And I was watching a little bit earlier this week before this interview just to get an idea of it. And I do love the whole concept of like, yeah, you get an entry by making you laugh. Like that's super fun. I enjoy it. So, I mean, it, it gives me laughs. Yeah. <laughs> we do take the first Thursday of every month. We take that off just to give ourselves a break. So this Thursday, tomorrow, I'll be back on stream and we're going to continue on with the Cthulhu case from Talon and Claw that Kate Greer designed has been a requested item that people have been asking me to paint, you know, put my own treatment to. So we're doing that on stream. I've already gotten the first parts of it done. So we'll be going into our, our next parts uh, in the next episode, along with I will be doing... A Blades in the Dark remastered from Elderwood will be the other case that I do during the same, the next uh, three weeks, three weeks, I think. Awesome. That sounds super fun. I want to make sure that we have time to go over <laughs> some questions that I like to ask in every interview. Go for it. I think you know what's coming. So you do a lot. You have so many designs out there on so many different things. You are painting some really cool, really pretty dice boxes. But obviously being an artist and a designer trying to do this on your own is a lot of work. And yep. I'm sure there are a lot of challenges. So tell me about it. What's been the most challenging part? Oh, um, <laughs> all right. So we've already, I've already gone over or expressed how vast my library of work is and how it's not, my whole library as a whole is not D20 centric or TTRPG centric. There's a lot of things that I have in my library that are way beyond that in the different categories. And combining that with my knowledge of multiple production processes from sublimation to DTG, just those two alone, there's a huge difference in the way you set up your art files and what you can actually do. And then you, you take that, now you add in my production partner, Printful, and their catalog of product is ginormous. I mean, Mugs, dresses, sports bras, t-shirts, leggings, duffel bags, beach towels. The list goes on. There's so many things that they have access to that you can put your designs and artwork on. And when I first decided I was going to step away from, well, I didn't really decide to step away. There's a reason why I am no longer with the, the art company I was with. And that was a, it's a popular topic. People already know about it. But my initial 
launch on Etsy and then my my Shopify that I did on top of that for 88 riddles was too much. I had designs in so many different directions on so many different products that it made my store what ended up happening is both my stores, my my Shopify and my Etsy were a confusing cluster of stuff that even though it, the the categories were set up and easy to navigate, it didn't have it wasn't cohesive. It didn't fit together. There was just too much jumbling going on. So I had I had to like really pull back and stop reset my mental process on like all right. So how am I going to make this work? Make it profitable because right now what I'm doing isn't working. It wasn't getting me no you know any kind of like attention. It wasn't getting me a lot of other things. I wasn't going anywhere. I had a lot of really cool stuff, but I didn't have a lot of focus. And that was the biggest thing. I think it was the biggest challenge getting to where I am now was finding that focus, finding that niche and discovering where you kind of fit in this community. So I I dialed back everything. I took down so many products and stopped carrying them and focused on core items. And that was going to be shirts hoodies, my dice boxes, that was going to be my core pieces. And I was going to revert to almost exclusively D20 and TTRPG centric designs. So that was my hardest part. That was, that was definitely the biggest thing to overcome and, and really work through was just figuring out where you fit, what should be your focus when you find that purpose, how much competition do you have in that, that niche, that niche, however you want to say it. So that you, you want to find that spot, that sweet spot where there's very little competition, but decent enough demand. No, I think you raised some really good points that it can be really hard to dial in and figure out what that niche is going to be. And sometimes I know too, that you think you know what it's going to be and you try it out and maybe it doesn't work. So I know yep. that that's, that takes a long time. That is hard. That is challenging for sure. Yes, it is. <laughs> Cool. Well, let's flip it around. What's been the best part? What's been the most rewarding? The most rewarding during all this process is a lot of the connections I've made. Because especially in the D&D Twitter community or the TTRPG Twitter community, whichever one you want to look at, because they're, they're both so interconnected, obviously. But that community, I can't express. I know that there are gatekeepers out there. I know that there are this small group of rabble who refuse to accept the change and be inclusive and be, you know, and accepting of diversity. I know they're there they're, they, and they, they, they're never going to go away. It's just something we have to deal with. But 99% of the people I talk to in those communities are absolutely amazing people, not just for the games they play, not just for the, the stuff they create or the stuff that they enjoy to buy, you know, how, the, who they're a patron of, but just in general, I mean, these people genuinely create a collective where they care about each other on a personal level. And I see it with responses to my own stuff. Sometimes whenever I, I, I'm having a bad day um, and that's, yeah. And that, I guess that's my biggest thing. And it, it's been a huge getting on my own and getting into this community has definitely helped my own mental health in the same process. I a hundred percent agree. This community <laughs> is amazing. Well, I know that we need to start winding down, but first I want to ask, are there any upcoming projects that we haven't really talked about that you're allowed to talk about 
that you're looking forward to? I wish I could talk about the design I'm doing right now, but I can't. <laughs> I, I I can't wait to see it go live though, so I'm kind of excited about that. But the uh, no, definitely the the Talon and Claws Kickstarter is going on right now. It is a an adventurous compendium collection thing. So it's it's got a dice box that actually has room for your mini as well. And I think it's set up for nine or eleven. I gotta double check that. No, it's not a C of eleven. Might be a C eleven. But the, they have that going on right now. The lid for it can be engraved. It also comes with a rolling tray that the dice box fits into. And there's a notebook. And they also have dice that are that you can uh, go with it. They have custom miniatures in there as well. So it's it's a pretty all-inclusive. Like if you're looking for one total package kind of bundle for a character or even just for your own vibe, but for really it's kind of character driven in my opinion from what I see. That's one great one to go at. Uh, and then David over at Cryptic Creative, he's going to be doing his next Kickstarter coming up shortly. It's a relaunch of the the original crypts that they did. So the crypts that you've, if you've been on my channels and you've seen my my paint jobs on these crypts, the new crypts he's got coming out, they've taken a lot of design notes. One of the things that people will really enjoy is that the lid is more interlocking. So it has a more stable as far as that. And it's a little, it's definitely bigger in shape, given more of a true coffin feel instead of the, the old narrow wooden box kind of feel. So I'm excited for this one. Uh, I really like the designs that I gave him and I can't wait to see what they look like on his new box. Awesome. Yeah. I'll include some links to those in the show notes. Jay, this has been awesome. If people want to find you, find your shop and all of your shops, <laughs> <laughs> where should they go? Well, I gave you the link tree link, I think, to post at the end of this. So people will be able to access me through that. But if you're looking on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, I am 88 Riddles. I am also 88 Riddles on Etsy. The best way to get to my shops on Redbubble, Society6, all those is going to be through my link tree because I provide direct links to to those in there. So a lot is, uh, easier to get to. You can find me on the, the Norris Foundry Twitch channel every Thursday. The link will be in the link tree for that as well. So it's easy to find. The name of the show is Watching Paint Dry. And uh, yeah, I think that covers it. Unless you live in Tucson. If you live in Tucson, I can point out some other places you might find me. Perfect. Yeah, that link tree will be in the notes Thank you so much for coming on. This has been so interesting and I've just loved getting to know more about what you do. Thank you so much for having me. I've enjoyed this. You just finished another episode of Roll, Play, Grow. To check out the show notes from today's episode, you can go to lightheartadventures.com slash RPG. To keep up with every episode, please subscribe on your podcast player of choice And if you're enjoying the show, I would absolutely love if you would leave me a review and share this episode with your friends. Your review might even get featured on an upcoming episode. To follow me on Twitter, you can either find me at LightheartADV for our business account or at KetraRPG for tweets on gaming, my dog Bowser, and other random shenanigans. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Roll, Play, Grow.